This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The European Championships with Football Social Daily. This is Football Social Daily building up to the big one. It is, of course, England versus Ukraine in the quarterfinals of the European Championships this weekend. And we, just like the rest of the nation, are getting a little bit carried away. We will, of course, be looking in detail at tomorrow night's match for the Three Lions and assessing their chances of it coming home. We're also going to take a look at the other games in the tournament and try and work out who from Spain, Italy, Denmark, Belgium, the Czech Republic and Switzerland could be taking passage to the semi-finals of the Euros. Plus, we're going to be looking beyond the Euros slightly at the future of one of England's young stars, Declan Rice, reportedly turning down a contract offer from West Ham. Does that mean he's going to be following his old mate Mason Mount this season? Plus, on the podcast today, Marley Anderson, who will be giving us an update on the situation at Newcastle and their latest legal battle with the Premier League over the takeover that never happened. Are you looking forward to getting stuck into that, Marley? (laughs) Nope. Uh, (laughs) I'm just bored of the whole situation, but I'm almost as bored as people probably are of me hearing me on four podcasts this week. But (laughs) Sorry, you're going to have to stick with me again. It's because you're so good, you're so eloquent and you talk about it so well. We'll get on to that a little bit later. That's what I keep telling my mum as well. You know. <laughs> Alongside Marley today, we've got Boral Sports' Leon Blanche. How are you doing, Leon? I'm doing great, Jim. Really looking forward to the quarterfinals. I think the two days off um, has freshened everyone up and now everybody is dying for the action to get underway this evening. Where are your allegiances, allegiances lying for the quarterfinals? Do you, do you have a team that you're backing? Are you bothered? Yeah, listen, I've backed Italy before a ball was kicked. So um, they're in with a good shout, especially, and I know we're going to talk about the game, but if Belgium are missing a couple of key players, that gives the Italians an even greater chance of getting to a semi-final. But look, I'm not one of those kind of Irish guys that says, oh God, I want England to be beaten. And um, I watch the Premier League every single week. Um, I want to see England do well. Um, I think they have done extremely well and the more I kind of think of it, the more I'm looking at them and saying, Do you know what, they're a real team. I think Garrett has done a tremendous job. I think there's a real harmony like within the group and they've got a real, real chance this summer to go all the way. So it's an exciting Euros. There's been some brilliant games and um, I think there's more to come. Well, the logical thing to do would be to go through the games chronologically and start with the games on Friday night tonight. But I think it's far too exciting, the prospect of England-Ukraine as a quarter-final and potential <laughs> passage to the semi-final. So that's exactly where we're going to start. 8pm on Saturday, the final game of the quarters is England versus Ukraine. So let's get stuck into that. Now, Marley, there has been a little bit of criticism of Gareth Southgate during this tournament, despite England's successes. And it's come down to his negative selections and negative tactics during the tournament. We've seen a lot of three at the back. We've seen a lot of playing two holding midfielders as well. 
What does Gareth do from here? Because it's been successful. It has worked. It worked really well against Germany. That kind of 3-4-3-esque formation or 3-2-2-1, however you want to describe it. So does he stick with the same? Does he stick with the cautious approach going forward? Or does he risk it with a game like Ukraine? Um, in terms of formation, I, I definitely don't think he should go with the one that we played against Germany because... Um, as much as it stifled Germany, that's that's all it was there to do. It was there to stop their wing backs having too much width and having too much of the ball and, and getting in behind um, the likes of Sterling or or Saka or whoever played on the wing. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd definitely ditch that. I think um, Kane was far too isolated in that system, um, and the wingers weren't putting crosses in, so he was kind of. Because as well, I think it's it seems to me like Kane's been told not to go deep for the ball and, and sort of roll, roam around like he was in the early stages of the competition. So he certainly seemed to, to stay up front a lot more in the Germany game and, and stay and wait for the ball a bit more. But because he wasn't getting any service, it made him look like he was playing awful. Um, and I don't think that was fully down to him in, in total fairness. Because um, as soon as he got service, he was involved in the Sterling goal and he finished the uh, the goal himself with five minutes to go. So... Um, in terms of that, I would I'd play the system that tries to get a bit more out of him. Um, and for me, that would be going back to the same formation that they played in the first three games, in all the group games. Um, have your two midfielders um, and then have your number 10 and your two wingers in a, in a 4-2-3-1. So I would switch back to that and um, definitely rest at least one of Rice or, um, or Phillips because they're both on, on yellow cards. Um, it makes no sense at all to... Uh, to give them 90 minutes and, and potentially risk a booking, especially in a uh, first knockout game where it can get a bit niggly and a bit, uh, you know, you're bound to see some pushing and shoving at some point um, and somebody trying to wind another one up to try and get someone sent off. There's, there's plenty of shousery in these games, um, which is part and part part and parcel of football, I suppose, but you've got to be, uh, you've got to be proactive to it and see it coming. Um, so I'd definitely start Henderson over one of them too. Um, and go back to the same system that, that looked a little bit more positive. Um, I don't think Ukraine bring anything that you'd be worried of. Like with Germany, you were worried about the wing-backs, for example, and, and the team shape. I think they play a more normal team shape. Um, it's kind of similar to a 4-2-3-1, maybe a bit more of a 4-3-3, but you kinda, you've got to focus on yourself on this one because, let's be realistic, they're not going to come and play an expansive game. They're going to come and try and soak up pressure um, and hit on the counter attack, and that is that's not beneficial to play the three four three for me. So I would be focusing on what what England can do as um, an attacking force rather than playing it a bit more pragmatic. I mean, we've seen plenty of upsets in this tournament so far, but it does feel like the Ukraine offer less of a challenge to England than Germany did Leon. But even with that in mind, it feels to me like it's really unlikely that we're going to see an all-out attacking swashbuckling display from Gareth Southgate because that's not what he set his house out to do. He's all about soaking up pressure, keeping a clean sheet and hoping one of the very talented forward players like a Raheem Sterling or a Sacco who was excellent in the last two games or Harry Kane can nick that goal and get that win. Yeah, look, I mean, I'd have to agree with that, but I think the pragmatic approach has worked so far. So there's no point in trying to fix something that's not broken. Um, but I do agree with Marley. I think it's an opportunity here against the Ukraine, similar standards um, to the kind of Czech Republics. You go with your 4-2-3-1. Um, I thought Harry Kane got involved, especially in that kind of first half an hour against the Czechs when I thought England were exceptional. They were on the front foot. They were driving them back. Saka and Grealish, um, Sterling, they were all linking very well. And I think that's, the formation I'd be looking for if I was Gareth because you've still got your two holding midfielders. You're not going all out attack, but you're just getting an extra attack-minded player onto the pitch. Whereas against Germany, he obviously matched up the Germans' formation, but it worked. Kept another clean sheet and won 2-0. But this is an opportunity, having watched the Ukraine, they do sit very, very deep and they try and hit you on the counter-attack. But if you've got your two holding midfielders. Again, I think Jordan Henderson will come in because of the two yellow cards. You don't want to lose a player 
The worst outcome would be for England, I feel, is to lose one of the guys that's on a yellow card right now. Because once you get to the semi-final, all the cards are forgotten about. So I do think there might be one or two changes in terms of the first 11. But I hope Garrett can just go back to that kind of Czech Republic performance. I'm not saying go gung-ho, because that's not in his nature. But it just gives you a bit more of an attacking threat if you go with the three in and around Harry Kane. Because I have a feeling now with Kane... The, the pressure is off him. You could see the relief in terms of getting that first goal. And we all know what a class footballer he is. And if he gets service and he gets players who can run behind him, Harry Kane is going to be a major threat, in my opinion, for the rest of the competition. It's interesting you mentioned Harry Kane. You've both mentioned him because he didn't have the greatest time in the group stages he did seem to drop deep a lot looking for the ball in against Germany he did look isolated but he did get that goal now we've seen this before with him at Spurs Marley that he just needs that one goal that one confidence builder and he can go on a bit of a run and I think Alan Shearer has said many times one of your heroes that you don't go all guns blazing into an international tournament you grow into it you kind of develop into it do you think that goal against Germany will be what he needs to kind of kick on from here and maybe start bagging a few. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think for a striker, you know, once you're, you know, you've gone three games without scoring and people are starting saying, oh, you know, why is he not getting taken off? Why is he not getting dropped uh, if we're taking other strikers? Because <laughs> the alternative's the... Dominic Calvert-Lewin. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why. It's simple, isn't it? <laughs> it is It is one of them where, realistically, he's never going to get taken off, is he? So I, I always think, like, back to sort of March and, and April and, May when we're when we're saying who oh, who's going to go to the Euros as as striker does Bamford go does does uh, Ings go does Callum Wilson go it doesn't matter because Kane's going to play ninety nine percent of all minutes so it doesn't really matter um, and we've seen that this this tournament but going back to his is sort of breaking his duck sort of thing I think you know as a striker all you want is something to to just go in if it's if if you're not playing at your best you just want a ball to bounce to you in the box and you you've got a dead simple finish or you know, one deflecting off your ass or something like that, and it it'll just break that that psychological thing. Um, and as well, I haven't seen many people praising the fact that that uh, what a good finish um, it was against Germany because he had to really bend his neck. It was almost behind him. It was genuinely very very good header, um, and that'll give him massive uh, massive confidence at just the right time, really, because you don't want to be going into quarterfinals and semis with uh, potentially semis with. Um, you know, your striker's still thinking, oh, you know, I haven't scored yet. Um, he scored in the biggest game we've had this tournament. So I think it's the perfect time to break your duck. And I think he'll be a threat now from from uh, now on in the tournament, however far England might go. Speaking of confidence, one player who seems to be bubbling over with it at the moment is Raheem Sterling. He has been the man for England. Had a superb game against Germany. Top goal scorer now for England as well with three goals. Considering the season he had at City... Leon, and it wasn't the most impressive city. A lot of the fans there getting on his back, maybe suggesting his time was up at the Etihad. Have you been surprised at the form he's brought into this European Championships? And no, because I think um, whenever he's pulled on an England short for Gareth Southgate, he's one, he has been one of the standout performers. I think if you look back at his last, I don't know how many games you want to go back, but I mean, I'm going back at least more than a dozen games for England, and I think his numbers are brilliant. And I think a lot of credit has to go to both player and manager because there was an awful lot of pressure on Gareth Southgate in terms of Sterling. There was a lot of clamour from the English media that he should be left out of that first eleven, But Gareth stuck by his man and his man has absolutely rewarded his manager. I mean, you're talking about a player now who has scored two match winners in the group stage and he's broke the deadlock against the Germans. It does not get much better than that. And I think a lot of times as well, some managers bow down to the pressure of what's being talked about in the media. They actually start to listen to it. But it's another string to Gareth Southgate's bow in terms of he's willing to back to players who have never let him down. And when you give a player that confidence, who, yes, I would agree, hasn't had his best season with Manchester City, But when you come in then to play for your country and your manager tells you you're starting, you're one of my main men, club form doesn't matter to me, you're playing because of how you deliver when you pull on that England jersey for me every single time, that must make you stand 10 feet tall. 
And what Raheem Sterling has done is he has paid back his manager in spades with three goals in four games. It's, it's, it's a remarkable return. And Sterling, to me, is becoming one of these players now for England under Gareth Southgate. He's a leader and he's taking the responsibility upon himself. His first performance wasn't great against Croatia, but that doesn't matter. He's there to be an influence and change games. He got the match winner. He's growing in stature as this tournament progresses. And England have got another player now who I believe is full of confidence. Nothing is impossible to Raheem Sterling at the minute. So hats off to Southgate and hats off to Sterling. They've both delivered when the pressure was on the two of them. Make no mistake about that. be really interesting to see what happens to Sterling post-European Championships now because I think City have made it clear that they don't want him here. Offering him as a make-weight to Tottenham for Harry Kane, which was the rumour doing the rounds. That's made him reluctant to sign a new contract at City, apparently. So potentially he could be looking for a move after the Euros. As for the game itself, Marley, this is England's first game away from Wembley being played in Rome. Is that going to be a problem? Is that going to be a negative or a potential advantage even for the Ukraine? Uh, I I think this is a slightly bigger issue than people have been sort of glossing over. Um, the look, it shouldn't make any difference to the performance or the result. They should still, you know, get it get it done basically. Um, but England fans are not allowed to travel to Rome to watch the team because um, Italy have a five day quarantine list for anyone coming into the country from the UK, uh, which basically means you'd have had to set off last Saturday. Um, quarantine Monday to Friday, and then get on, um, get on the get get into the game. You know, on on Saturday. Um, There's some foresight if you did that. I mean, fair play if you worked that one out <laughs> a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Do you know what? But I was also thinking, you you know, if if you took that gamble, you're either going to get a, a a little holiday in Rome at the worst, or you're going to get um, to see the game because you're definitely going to get a ticket once you're there and you you're free of quarantine. Um, requirements and all the rest of it so I don't know I think you'd have seen a lot more England fans have been not played Germany in the last round if we'd have played Ukraine on on uh, Tuesday and then Germany on Saturday in Rome it would have been a different story but the way it worked out I think everyone was like you know waiting to get past Germany before anybody sort of thought about the the game in Rome but yeah there's going to be no England fans there I think there was talk of um, the Italian authorities giving um, tickets to the 30,000 English people that live in Rome anyway. Um, but I'm not sure how you even track them down and say, hey, do you want a ticket? Um, because half them, I don't even know if half them would want to go or if they can go or if they've got other plans. So there's no guarantee about the atmosphere. Um, you're also thinking as well with, with Shevchenko, the, the Ukraine coach, playing in Italy for most of his career, you're going to think the neutrals are going to be on, on the on the Ukraine side as well as them being underdogs as well. He's kind of published a rallying cry as well to the Italian fans, didn't he? Kind yeah. of saying, basically, yeah, yeah, come yeah. and support us. And you'd, ima- you'd imagine that from an Italy point of view, they're going to prefer to see Ukraine proceed in the tournament over England. Yeah. So it does feel like it will be slightly partisan. Yeah, exactly. And there's you know the, the fact that they could play England in the final, they're going to be cheering for Ukraine. And the fact that everybody around the world hates England... <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna again be cheering for for Ukraine, so yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be a little bit partisan, but it's nothing that England haven't played against, um, you know, before. So it's uh, as long as it doesn't catch them by surprise, and they know that that it's gonna be like that. Um, it's not gonna be like Wembley where there's forty thousand, um, basically English supporters cheering them on. So hopefully they'll uh, they'll realize that and and put it straight to the back of their minds and and concentrate on the performance because. It's still a, a really nice stadium, um, one of the you know the, the iconic ones of, of Italy, um, and they've got no ex- other excuse, really. You and I, Marley, are sounding a little bit like typical overconfident, arrogant, complacent Englishmen right now, so let's try and, try and put a little bit of balance on this and talk about Ukraine. I mean, they did need extra time to beat Sweden, but did that prove Who anything? Who had 10 men as well. Yeah, I mean... What do they need to do to beat England, Leon? Is it a case of they do need to shut up shop and get a bit of luck? Is that kind of what we're looking at as a game plan? I think that will be the game plan because, I mean, they're coming in here as massive, massive underdogs. And having watched a bit of them play, I mean, when they were 2-0 down against the Dutch, if you rewind your mind all the way back to that kind of first group game, 
and De Boer made a couple of crazy substitutions. He took off kind of two of his defenders and the Ukraine got themselves back into the game um, at 2-2. But Holland then were able to still go on and win the match. And I think what Shevchenko will do is it's going to be try and soak up as much pressure as you possibly can. And you've got to hope that you'll get one or two chances on the counter-attack. It, you know, like it reminds me of a lot of sides that will travel and kind of play a Liverpool away or play a Man City away. You're going to try and just sit in for as much as you can and hope to frustrate them and then to just get one or two chances and you take one. But the point you make about going to Rome, it is, it is an important one because there's no doubt England have got better as the tournament has progressed. They've got better as more fans have come back into the stadium. I mean, the atmosphere at Wembley against Germany was electric. And this will be a different kettle of fish now. This is like an away qualifier. That's what I kind of put it down as. You're going in to a stadium where you're not going to have any fans, but it's just got to be about the the squad and the management team. You've got to have that kind of siege mentality. Most 95%, whoever's in the stadium, I think are going to be cheering for the Ukraine. I think that's the way it's going to be. But that's just got to make you stand up, you know, and be counted. And I think these guys, looking at them, they seem very level-headed. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I think they are together. And I think there's another good performance in England. I don't think it's going to be pretty. I think, honestly, I think the Ukraine are going to make this a very, very difficult um, setup to break down. England are going to have to be patient. They're going to have to keep the ball, which I think they will have the majority of possession. And they're going to have to wait for the right opportunity to try and get in behind the Ukraine. But I do feel that's where their weakness is. They're not the quickest at the back. And that's why I would like to see Garrett have those three players in and around Harry Kane. Players that are, that are not afraid to go at the opposition. That are not afraid to get in behind Kane. And if you get players down the flanks and get the balls into the box. We know how good Harry Kane is at finishing. And I'm glad Marley made that point about his finish against Germany because that was a fantastic finish. That ball was actually behind Kane. How he's actually managed to wrangle his neck to get his head behind that ball and finish it, it was top class. But I do think it's going to take a bit of time. It's not going to be an easy 2 or 3 nil victory where England are just going to turn up and saunter into the semi-finals. No quarterfinal at any tournament is ever that easy. This could be a long night, but I do predict England will get there in the end, but they're going to have to be patient. I've got to say, I think the Rome thing is important, but I think it could work, almost as you hinted at, Leon, it could work the other way as a bit of a reminder to the players that they are in a tournament, the kind of gravity of the game, rather than maybe it feeling like a home friendly or something like that. So I think it could go either way. Also, I've heard a few people talking about, well, the travel's important. It's only Rome. I mean, Rome's like two and a half hours on a plane. St. George's Park's two and a half hours on a bus. So in terms of the travel, there's not much in it. There's not much difference. Players don't um, get buses these days, Jim. They've been getting a bus from Wembley to St. George's Park. They've been <laughs> on the bus, on the, on the uh, Greyhound, National Express, all the way. And Harry Maguire's been on the Magic Bus because he didn't want to quite fork out the uh, 25 quid for the National Express. Cramped up with his knees bus. under his neck. <laughs> in terms what an organisation of mega buses, <laughs> Jesus Christ. In, in terms if you didn't of... have corona before, uh, if you haven't had corona yet, get on a mega yeah. bus, see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> These are the views of Marley Anderson and not Sports Social. Um, in terms of selections and who's available, we now know Ben Chilwell and Mason Mount are back available after their self-isolation from coronavirus. So maybe Mason Mount is that extra forward-thinking midfielder that comes into the team for Gareth Southgate. As for Ukraine, they're going to be missing Artem Besedin, who is out of the tournament. He picked up a nasty, nasty injury against Sweden. Might even be out till next year, so he will not be available for selection for the Ukraine. Um, as you know, Leon, the Boyle Sports guys are offering a £10 no-lose bet on every England game during the European Championships. So, to put that really simply, if you stick £10 on any market during the Euros, 
for England. If that bet loses, then you get your stake back as a free bet. Kind of like a no-risk situation. All the info's at boilsports.com, or you can find it in the Boyle Sports betting app as well. T's and C's do apply. You need to be 18+, plus and of course, bet responsibly and be gamble-aware. But if you've got that £10 free bet, Leon, where's a smart place to put it with a decent return? Yeah, I mean, look, I always say, like, with this kind of free bet um, as an insurance you've got to try and go for something with a little bit of value. Um, I've talked about Kane. I've talked about Raheem Sterling. And I just think it's one of those guys that you've got to be looking to in terms of scoring the first goal for England. Because when you're in form like Sterling is, when you've got the pressure off your back like Kane has, you just see strikers especially. They feed off goals. I think Sterling is a big price, actually a 5-1. to one to score first. Harry Kane is probably a little bit too short for me at five to two. But I think England are going He's almost six foot, isn't he? <laughs> but I think <laughs> I think five to two though is a bit skimpy. Um but it's because of Kane's record prior to not scoring in those first three games, he's a phenomenal goal scorer. I'm gonna try a score cast. That's what I'm gonna do. So you've got to pick your first goal scorer, which I'm gonna stick with Raheem Sterling. I just think the guy is on fire. His confidence has got to be through the roof at the moment. So Raheem Sterling to score first. And I'm going to go for the same scoreline that England uh, defeated Germany 2-0, 20 to 1. Sterling and England to win 2-0 at 20 to 1. You've got to go for a big price because you know if you don't get it right, you're going to get your money back anyway. So that's my prediction for the quarterfinal against the Ukraine. I have to say I did a scorecast for the Germany game, 2-0. I got 12 to 1 on that, so I think the odds seem very good. That for 2 0 against Ukraine with 20 to 1. You can find the latest odds and you can find the details of the deal at boilsports.com or in the Boyle Sports betting app. Right, there are three more games in the quarterfinals to go at, and we'll talk about them next on the Football Social Daily. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We've had the main course, so let's finish with the starters or the aperitifs or something. Uh, Three games that are going to lead up to England versus Ukraine. We get to watch these and know who's going to be in the next round before England even begin their attempts to get there. So we're going to be looking at Czech Republic, Denmark, Switzerland, Spain and Belgium versus Italy. I think probably the most mouth-watering of those games is Belgium versus Italy. That is 8pm on Friday that game kicks off. From this game, Leon, will we see one of the finalists? Oh, um, well, I mean, I'm hoping so for my bet in terms of Italy, Jim. But <laughs> um, look, I think looking at both of these sides, everybody was impressed with Italy in the group stages. Um, primarily impressed with their with their style of play. It's moved way way away from what the Italians were known as in terms of getting 1-0 up. You'd sit back, you'd defend. When they went 1-2-0 or two nil up, they wanted to get the next goal. And Mancini has done a really good job. Look, they're 31 games unbeaten now. I know a couple of people out there are saying, but they haven't really beaten a top, top side. It doesn't bother me. When you go 31 games unbeaten, that shows that these players know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what the management team expects from them. And I think we saw the strength and depth of the Italians in terms of they didn't play well in the first 90 minutes against Austria. But when the changes were made, when they went into extra time, it was like they just kicked into another gear. Belgium, on the other hand, we don't know what the situation is regarding Kevin De Bruyne and Eden Hazard. I actually thought Hazard against Portugal was getting back to his old self. He looked sharp. He looked to be right on it. But he came off very late in the game. Obviously, looked as if it was a hamstring. So we don't know how severe that is. De Bruyne came off with his ankle. I don't know why he ever came back out for the second half to play two or three minutes. I couldn't understand that. But I think if Italy can get past Belgium, they will feel that they can take on anybody. And as I said with this Italian squad, I think they do have a lot of strength in depth. Um, Players are really vying for their place. And Mancini made a couple of decisions against Austria, which surprised me. Balotti was left out. I couldn't really understand that. I thought he'd had a tremendous um, tournament so far. But that goes to show you the players on the bench are just as good as the ones who are starting. So the Italians... If Belgium don't have De Bruyne and they don't have Eden Hazard, 
you've got to be leaning mm. towards them getting through to the semi-finals for sure. How big are those two players as a miss, Marley? I mean, we don't know for sure they're out at the moment, but the signs are that Hazard and De Bruyne will be missing for the Belgians. I guess the issue for Belgium, as we've talked about before, is they've got these talented players through the team, but they don't have much depth beyond them. So how much impact are those two key players going to have if they don't make the game? Well, those two are absolutely massive. Um, and we've we've had a look at Belgium without them too, because they had they didn't have the pair of them uh, against Denmark earlier in the in the tournament in the second game. Um, they benched them well, largely largely because they were through. Well, they're almost through the group anyway. But um, yeah, in terms of of how they played, they were they were miles off where they were uh, originally. You know, with them. So then they brought them on at half time, and Belgium were a different team at, at uh, from the break onwards. So. They they pretty much eased past Denmark in that second forty five minutes with them two and and of them two it was mainly De Bruyne really, um, uh, yeah it wasn't as much Hazard than than De Bruyne he was the one that made them tick so that's that's the big well we've seen De Bruyne make Man City tick for the last you know four or five years or whatever it's been so you know um, we've we've had that before and it's it's kind of like if you're gonna play without them we know how you've done it before. And we know you know when here is good, so you know you've got to come up with some sort of solution to uh, to stop to stop your your team sort of slacking off massively because Italy will fancy it. They'll fancy it anyway, but they'll fancy it massively without without them too. It's like it's like taking you know two world class players out of your team is is a huge boost for the opposition. So Italy are never going to have a better chance, I don't think, than than beating Belgium because. If if you you know if you want to play Belgium you don't want to play De Bruyne if if you can help it and it's a shame that he got booted out of the uh, the tournament because you know he was he was bossing it he looked very very up for it um, and he you know I mean he, he took a whack earlier in the in the competition as well I think there's been a few little kicks at him and, and what have you which is you know completely against what you want to see as a, as a neutral you want to see the best players obviously but. And you see Paulinho, who should have been booked already in that in that game uh, against Portugal. He should have been booked for the the pull on on Lukaku in the first half that he got away with, like the clearest yellow card you'll ever see, and that allowed him to chop down De Bruyne just uh, just before half time. Which, you know, the the, the referees have, have basically um, screwed that tournament up for for De Bruyne and possibly for Belgium. So. It's a big task for them. Um, it becomes even bigger without without the two we've we've mentioned. But they're going to have to find a way to do it because you don't always wait to you don't always have your best players available, um, and it makes it much more of an even game now. Both these teams are in great form at the moment, Leon. Uh, particularly the Italians have got a new national record: thirty-one games unbeaten. But both their forms stretch from previous to this tournament as well. Belgium have got a hell of a record in the Euros. But is it fair to say that certainly within the European Championship so far, neither of the teams have really been tested in any meaningful way? Um, yeah, but look, I mean, you can say you can say that about a lot of teams, Jim. Mm. To be totally fair, I mean, I think we've is that said a problem that... with the format of this tournament, the way it's structured this year? Because we have seen a lot of smaller teams coming in. We've seen third place teams qualifying from the groups. So is that just? Is that the nature of how the Euros is going to run from here with smaller teams involved? That the, the, the bigger teams don't get tested till the latter stages? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I'd agree with that. I mean, I don't know why they've changed, you know, like a, a proven formula that's always worked. The top two in the group go through. Um, I mean, they could have easily had eight groups um, and just went with the top two, you know, in terms of the last 16, but they didn't. But I think when you look at kind of Belgium... They sauntered through their group, and as Marley rightly says there, when they made the substitutions, they were under a lot of pressure in that first half against Denmark. But when they made the subs at halftime, it just totally changed um, everything about how Belgium played that game, and they actually won it quite comfortably in the end. I was impressed with Belgium against Portugal in terms of, I thought their game management was very good. They Portugal had way more attempts than Belgium. I think Belgium only had six attempts on goal, in the particular last 16 game, but they were able to just manage the clock and they got the job done. Um, If you look at the Italians, you can say that the Italians haven't been tested, but look at Switzerland against France. So there's two ways of looking at this. You can say, yes, Switzerland didn't turn up or maybe the Italians didn't let them turn up, 
But then if you look at the Swiss performance against the French when they were 3-1 down, I don't think anyone would begrudge Switzerland their place in the quarterfinals because they gave France a real scare. So there's different ways of looking at that, Jim. I just think when you get into this stage, it doesn't matter really have you been tested. Every single side in the group of death is now out of the competition and they got tested. So that doesn't really matter to me. It matters just on the night. It matters who's fit and who's available. And as I just think, without those two players, if they don't start for Belgium, it's a very, very tough task to try and get by the Italians without them too. Any side in world football who's missing their best two players would struggle against a really top-class opponent. And the Italians, it's that winning mentality. It's that unbeaten mentality. Now, it's going to happen because 31 games is an amazing run, but it will come to an end at some stage. Maybe it will be tonight, but I just have a feeling it won't be. I do think the Italians, with the injuries to Belgium, I think they're going to march on to the semi-final. You did mention the Swiss there and their victory over France. So let's talk about the Friday night game or the early kickoff, 5pm, Switzerland versus Spain. It wasn't just Switzerland that were involved in an epic game in the last 16. It was Spain as well. Both needed extra time and Herculean effort to get past their opponents. Does that just mean this performance, this game, Marley, is going to be very leggy, very tired, maybe a few mistakes, a few goals? Yeah, I mean, you know, both both teams had fairly similar, um, you know, things they had to come through. You know, the extra time and the penalties and what have you. Uh, in in Switzerland's case, and the extra time um, in Spain's case of of almost getting you know caught by by Croatia. Um, and you know, both teams had had the wobble towards the end as well, which it was almost um, the opposite of each other. So Spain, you know, scored. Uh, conceded two late goals Switzerland scored two late goals to force extra time so yeah I mean that that probably does weigh into your legs but I think in a in a quarter final of a competition I don't think you'll see that as much um I think Spain have got great depth as well I think bringing Ferran Torres off the bench scores with his first touch um I think he'll probably start so you you're probably looking at that as he's a he's a fresh uh, a fresh face and he's not going to have played I think he think he last started two games ago, so you know you're probably talking he hasn't started for nine or ten days or whatever it is in terms of uh, of normal season thing. It's like having a Wednesday off and, and playing just Saturday and the, then the following Sunday or something like that for Man City. So um, it's probably slightly more of an issue with Switzerland because I think they've got a thinner squad um, and the starting eleven will probably they'll probably want it to be as very very much the same as what it was against France. Um, but yeah, I think I'm I'm really pleased with. I mean, when we were talking about how how Switzerland were, um, when we were talking about when they were approaching the game uh, against France, I think I was on. And I just said I want Switzerland to go for it. I just I don't want to see them roll over and not really try. And that's exactly what they did. I was really pleased watching them and thinking, Christ, they're actually going for this. They're actually, you know, trying to take the chances. They're throwing. They're playing, you know, high up the pitch when they can, and they're they're actually properly going for this against France, and you know they very nearly got it done. If that penalty goes in, it's two 0 It's a different game, um, and we we probably get a, a simple ninety minute victory. But obviously, they they still came through it. Showed great character to do so as well. Um, I think everyone fancied France as soon as it went to extra time with the way the momentum of the game was going. But that'll be massive for Switzerland in this game. They'll know that they can. Um, that they're not out of it when things uh, are going there and not necessarily going their way. This game will probably be Spain having 80% of the ball again, um, as they have done all the way through the competition, really. Um, but Switzerland will know that and they'll prepare for that, hopefully. And, and when they when they do get the ball, I think they, they'll, they'll have the confidence that they scored three past France. So why can't they go and do it against Spain? So Spain have, have looked leaky at the best of times, um, you know, conceding three goals to Croatia. It's they've not exactly blown everyone away, um, so it's, there's there's definitely a carrot there for for Switzerland to to go for. 
We talked already about the importance of some world-class players that are missing from their team's game in Kevin De Bruyne and Eden Hazard. If we're talking about world-class players, it's remiss not to mention Granit Xhaka, obviously, <laughs> from that mix as well. Uh, I Obviously, I'm, I'm being slightly facetious. Um, much maligned by Arsenal fans, much criticised in the Premier League, but Granit Xhaka is missing tonight for the Swiss. And he is a really important player for this team, isn't he, Leon? He is going to be missed. Well, I'll tell you, he's one of the main reasons why they got through against France. That was one of the best games I've ever seen him play. And his passing range his interceptions, but is also um, his voice on the pitch. I was really impressed with Jacket in terms of he seemed to be the guy who dragged them up from the heels when they were 3-1 down, barking orders, screaming, shouting at teammates, getting them going. And I even saw it at the full-time whistle. The players, everyone to a man, nearly went over to Xhaka and congratulated him. But it was a big performance, and he's a big player missing for Switzerland certainly on the performance against the French. But I just think with the Spanish, they're still coming in as a kind of a dark horse. And no one is really talking about Spain as being a potential winner. And I say, why not? They're into the last eight right now. I actually think Spain will get by Switzerland. Um, Luis Enrique, he's changed up his formation so much. I mean, Ferran Torres... A goal and an assist in the last game. Beautiful ball into Aspilicueta. Morata, what a big goal. We talk about Harry Kane getting a massive goal for his confidence. What about the strike from Alvaro Morata to get, it seems like, a nation off his back? And that is just a goal. And I also have got to give Enrique a bit of credit here again. Through thick and thin, with Morata, he is stuck by him. He has told him, you are my main man. He's played Moreno, he's played Torres alongside him, but he's always stuck fate with Morata. And Morata repaid him in extra time with that beautiful strike to put Spain 4-3 up. So I think the Spanish will see off Switzerland. I think, you know, with a side like Switzerland, I was very disappointed with them in the group stages. They raised their game massively against the French, but I think that could be their one huge performance. Where I think the Spanish... With the squad, I mean, Thiago is not even getting a look in. Didn't even come off the bench against Croatia. There's not many sides in international football who could afford to leave him on the bench for a whole 120 minutes. So I think this Spanish team, while they do concede goals, I still think they're going to be strong enough to see off the Swiss. And they're going to be in a semi-final. And I just have a feeling with the Italian game and the Belgian game, I think that's going to be a real ding-dong battle. I think it's going to be a physical bruising encounter. I just have a feeling Spain are going to have the slightly easier quarter-final to prepare them for a semi-final next week. It is interesting, isn't it, to know how the Swiss are going to react to this. Sometimes when teams have that big obstacle they've overcome, when they've had a giant killing, their reaction to that is kind of almost like a, a job done, like a, well, we've done what we need to do at this tournament now, and it the performances drop off in the last stages. It's an intriguing encounter, Switzerland versus Spain. But probably the most difficult of these games to call for me is the Czech Republic versus Denmark. That's the final game we're going to talk about. 5pm on Saturday kickoff. Like I say, Marley, I think it's the most difficult one to call who's going to win it. How do you see it going? Uh, it, it is pretty even, to be honest. Um, I'm, I'm inclined to sort of go for Denmark, though. I think I've been more... More impressed by Denmark in the whole sort of competition. At you know when Czech Republic in the last round, I, I didn't expect them to get through at all. But um, it was the way Denmark have, have improved since that um, first game for obvious obvious reasons. I think they've they had the forty five minutes where they played Belgium off the park. I know we were talking about um, De Bruyne and Hazard not being part of it, but even without them, they're still you'd still say they were a better team than Denmark. But Denmark were, were way better in that first forty five minutes. Um, they hammered Russia, they hammered Wales, and they should do if if they're you know thinking of getting to a semi final of a competition. You should be smashing Russia and Wales, um, and they've done that. They looked great going forward, solid at the back. Um, they've got I know we always go on about it whenever we've talked about Denmark, but they've got that mental um, edge with with you know almost seeing one of the teammates lose his life on the pitch. Like that's a huge psychological thing of of wanting to win it for, for Christian Eriksen and, and things like that. So I just think that will, not necessarily that, 
that specific factor, but that combination of factors of them being just slightly more open and slightly more dangerous all over the pitch, I think they'll they'll um, they'll just about get it done against Czech Republic. I can see it being tight. I can see it being one nil or two one, but um, I'm just about back Denmark to get through. Yusuf Paulson is back from the day back for the Danes as well after missing the Wales game. As for the Czech Republic, Leon. We talked about dark horses before the tournament. Have they pretty much nailed that title now? They've been pulled off some pretty impressive results, particularly beating the Dutch in the last round. So, are we are we allowed to label them the surprise package now? Um, yeah, look, I mean they've done well, haven't they? I mean they've done very well in terms of getting into the quarterfinals. You could say they are a surprise package, but the Ukraine are also into the quarterfinals, um, so they've done well. But I think with the Czechs, I mean. You go back to that kind of England game and England could have been out of sight probably after the first half an hour. I think most people would agree with that. But the Czechs did have a couple of decent enough chances. I you know, um, I go back to the one, I think it was Suchek missed um, in the first half. He probably should have scored. And then it could have been a different game. England always looked comfortable in the second half, never really under that much pressure. But the Czechs, they were good against... The Netherlands, obviously, the sending off had a huge bearing in terms of that particular result with the lit getting sent off. But they are going well. But I just think with Denmark, similar to what Marley was saying, actually, they've just galvanised themselves after what happened in that first game. They needed to score big against Russia. They did. Um, they needed to put in a performance against the Welsh. The Welsh weren't good. Um, I think that's fair to say also. But in Poulsen and in Dolberg. They've got a couple of guys now who have scored in this tournament. They've scored two and three goals respectively. So they're looking at, I think they've got a few more match winners where I think the Czechs are heavily reliant upon Schick to kind of come up with the goods. I think the Danes have got more goals about them in their squad. And I do think both teams here will actually score. Um, But I'm going to go with a 2-1 scoreline to Denmark. Yeah, I just think they'll have enough for the Czechs. Um, and I think they've got more match winners. And do you know something about Denmark? It, I mean, it's funny sometimes when you look at a side like this, coming into the tournament, I didn't really give them much chance of going a long, long way in this competition. But unfortunately for them, losing one of their key men in Ericsson, it has been the catalyst to propel them into the quarterfinals. But imagine if Christian hadn't have suffered what he did in that first game. The Danes could have been the real dark horse in this summer's competition. Talk to me about the top goal scorers in this one, Leon, because this game features Patrick Schick, who we know has scored four goals this tournament. We mentioned earlier the Belgium team, who have got Romelu Lukaku, three goals so far in this game. Raheem Sterling on three goals this tournament as well. So who's the favourite to pick up the golden boot at the moment? Yeah, look, it's still Cristiano Ronaldo, of course. I mean, he is he's, he's sitting on top of the charts with five. But you're right, there are a couple of guys... Uh, who are coming in with Lukaku. Well, it's a big game for him. Obviously, I'm sure he's hoping that Kevin De Bruyne is match fit because he'd have a lot more chances to get on the back of a couple of goals. But I think if you look at Belgium and you think they're going to get through, well, then Lukaku might be a bit of value at almost 5-1 to one to be the top scorer. Schick, as you said, um, he's got four, hasn't he? So if he can get on the score sheet tonight against the Danes, well, then he's level with Cristiano Ronaldo and look Schick has impressed a lot of people not just with the wonder goal against Scotland I think the headed finish as well was taken really really classy from a player who I think could be one that a big club might move for in terms of the summer he's he's next in the betting Raheem Sterling follows suit there was a few quid for Harry Kane which I don't know whether Kane is it's possible to get four goals in the remainder of the tournament, but you never know um, with someone like him. If England were to get a penalty, he, of course, is on it. He takes a lot of free kicks just outside the box. He's a 25-1 to chance. But I think Ronaldo, currently favourite because he's top. But don't be surprised if Schick can go level alongside him because he could be the man to get on the score sheet for the Czechs. It might be his last game, but they've set the standard at five. And most tournaments, you can win it with either five or six goals. If anyone gets to six... I think they're going to be the outright winner. 
I wonder when the last time a player who went out in the last 16 of a competition ended up winning the golden boot, because that would be the case for Cristiano Ronaldo. If he does go on to win it, you can get the latest odds at boilsports.com or in the Boyle Sports betting app. We're going to talk about the future of Declan Rice next. All bets are off in terms of where he's going to end up this summer. He's turned down a contract at West Ham, but does that mean he is leaving the East End of London? We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back. Final part of Football Social Daily. I'll be honest with you, it's the bit I've been looking forward to getting into because it involves the future of Declan Rice. And I am a huge Declan Rice fanboy as well. So the news over the last 24 hours that will chill a few West Ham fans. It broke yesterday. I believe the news isn't new, if that makes sense. But the fact it's public is new. Declan Rice has rejected two contract offers from West Ham improved contract offers he still is under contract for the next three years I think it is at the moment and it's being reported as a sign that he is off he is leaving West Ham in the summer and it's been suggested he is chasing Champions League football do you think this is the case Marley do you think this is the bell toll for Declan Rice's West Ham career uh, it could be. I think, you know, you, you, you've supported him ever since he was Irish, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> Don't start that one, Marley. Yeah. Don't get me going on that one. <laughs> I couldn't resist that one. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's not a surprise that ultimately he wants to move on. But I think it, I think it is a little bit of a surprise that it's now. Because, you know, West Ham are coming off the best season they've had in... Well, I don't know, fifteen years maybe. So, you know, you're looking at at where West Ham are as a club. You know, they nearly got top four that season. They came was it sixth in the end, and then, you know, they're in they're in the Europa League next year. That's that's as good as West Ham can get. So I, I think you know it's time to to see where that goes. However, you know, it, it seems like he wants to leave. And the thing is, this summer is not a good summer to move. I don't think because. If you look at the teams that will link with him, you've got Chelsea, um, who may be an option. You've got Man City and Man United, really. I mean, of the three of them, Chelsea have got probably the most... Um, one that makes sense a bit more, because, you know, it's in London. He used to be at Chelsea till he was 14. He's best friends with Mason Mount. You know, them two are inseparable when, they, when they're with England and what have you. Um, so he'd probably, wanna, he'd probably choose Chelsea if he could go anywhere. Um, you look at Man City, they've probably got the most money to, to spend on him, but they're trying to improve their attack this year with, with Haaland or Kane or Grealish or all three. So um, mm. you could. Fernandinho signed a new contract as well recently, which suggests that's yeah. maybe not an area they're looking to strengthen. Exactly, and I think Rodri is, uh, I think he's, is he their most expensive player ever? So, I mean, he plays in that position as well, so they absolutely don't need a, cent- a defensive midfielder, so that would put them out of the race, you would think. Um, and the team that probably need him the most are Man United, and they're signing Sancho for eighty-five million. Um, there's talk of them signing Varane, so that'll be close to fifty. Um, and how much more have they got in the in the transfer budget um, if they sign them too? So you're talking, you know, one hundred and thirty million outlay there before you you even think about getting Rice. Big wage players as well. Yeah, huge. Um, so you know, Man, Man United aren't in the best shape to probably get him this summer. So you're looking at that and saying, you know, could could they could they throw Lingard into a uh, into a uh, a deal, you know, as, as a as a make weight? But if you if you valuing Declan Rice at a minimum of seventy million, and you probably you're still looking at fifty million plus Lingard, aren't you? You're not if you're not valuing Lingard at a similar price to Rice because they're at different stages of the career, obviously. So yeah, it's it's a weird one to move this summer. I don't think it works this summer, but. For me, if I was West Ham, I'd just flat out ignore what he said um, and say, you know, oh, I want to be, you know, if any bids come in, I want to be informed. I would say, well, we're turning them all down because you've got three years left on his contract and another and an option for a fourth. I don't know who activates that option, I don't know whether it's club or player or, or it has to be mutual. But still, three years on his contract, you normally see players moving with two years left. So that would suggest to me next summer, and I think if if those three clubs know that he's available next summer, they can put a strategy in place to say, OK, well, we're going to have him next summer, so 
Man City could be like, okay, we'll sign attacking players this summer and then we'll let Fernandinho's contract expire next summer and then we've got a hole in our squad in you know in in midfield so we can go and buy him next summer. And I think that suits all parties to be honest. So I think the timing of this is is a bit strange. But for me, if I was West Ham, I'd reject everything and say, look, we're playing in Europe for the first time in God knows how long. We've come off the back of an amazing season. There's no need for you to leave and we're not letting you go. And he's not realistically going to turn around. It doesn't seem like the type who who turn around and say, well, I'm not playing for you because he's he's been at the club for so long and he doesn't seem like, like that type of character. So I would he just say... He seems like a very honest professional, doesn't he? Yeah, and that's why I also think he doesn't seem like the brightest individual in the world, which is probably why I think he's he's, he's mistimed this whole situation because... I just don't see anybody signing in this summer that that he wants to go to. I'd be interested to know why this news has come out now, because my understanding of this situation is the club have no intention of selling Declan Rice, by the way, as far as they're concerned. And these contract negotiations were pre-European championships. This isn't something that's happened recently. And I've got the intel I've got off... uh, XWHU employee off Twitter who has been on the podcast a few times tends to be switched on and very informed in this kind of situation is this isn't so much Declan Rice hankering after a move this is more him wanting parity or certain his people wanting parity with some of the big earners at the club and we're talking about I mean um, Javier Hernandez when he came into the club he was on £140,000 a week or something ridiculous like that <laughs> Yarmolenko is on over £100,000 pounds a week and he yeah. rarely appears in the first team for West Ham so you can understand when you look from at, that situation yeah can't exactly you? you can kind of understand there's it can't the, you there's no, one, actually, there's no one at West Ham who should be getting paid more than Declan Rice no and, and that, that's it it's a situation Leon where actually if you want to hang on to a player of Declan Rice's quality and I genuinely believe and obviously I'm wearing claret and blue yeah. spectacles to talk about this I believe he is the best in his position in the world at the moment or one of the best in his position certainly so if you are West Ham and you're serious about hanging on to him you put your hand in your pocket and you pay the fee he wants don't you? Of course you do I mean if you want to keep him at your football club he's got to be on a par with, with the highest earners at West Ham simple as that because his performances command that he deserves that um, he wouldn't be my favourite person in the world in terms of um, moving from Ireland to England <laughs> but I've got to give him credit in terms of his performances um, I thought it was a big summer for him uh, he stood up to the task really well, especially against the Germans. He was right up for that game. And he is one of the best assets that West Ham have, if not the best asset that West Ham have. He's not going to be there for the remainder of his career. That's not going to happen. But certainly, West Ham have got to try and keep him for as long as they possibly can. And to do that, you've got to pay him correctly. I go back to the Wijnaldum situation at Liverpool. This was one of the things as well. He wanted a bit of parity with some of the other players that had come in and some of the other players that were getting a lot more money than he got. When he didn't get it, he was gone. The club didn't even offer it to him. So I think you've got to just be careful here, West Ham, in terms of the owners are quick to give these supposedly foreign signings coming in a lot of money. But when you've got a kind of a homegrown guy there who's done really well for the football club, show him the just rewards. Give him the money he wants. He's probably only going to be there for maybe one more season. I think that's it. Because honestly speaking, I think one more season at West Ham, Declan Rice has gone out the door. And he's going to probably end up back at Chelsea. Because if you look at Chelsea's kind of midfield situation at the moment, a lot of those players, the likes of Giorgino, Kovacic, even Kante, they're all getting on a bit. And if you look at Billy Gilmore, you look at Declan Rice, there's probably your future in the centre midfield for Chelsea. Because Gilmore is an exceptional talent, as is Rice. But you've got two guys who know uh, what the game is about in England. And they're the ones for the future for Chelsea, in my opinion, Gilmore and Rice. And you know what? You make your money back because if the Golden Sullivan, they offer him the money he wants, the extra money on his contract. If you're trying to prize a player away from a club who has five years left of his contract, that adds an extra value to that transfer fee. So you'd think it's an investment in his fee and money you'll get back and you get him to play for your football club for an extra 12 months uh, final topic on today's football social daily very quickly marley because you've had an idea an eye sorry on the situation at newcastle united there was a little bit of breaking news last night just break down exactly what's happened for us 
Uh, yeah, so it, it all it all still rumbles on with the um, the takeover. Um, basically, if you didn't know, Newcastle have been fighting the the Premier League in court um, for the last probably two or three months now, um, and it all goes back to the takeover. If if you remember, you know the the Premier League eventually they didn't reject the takeover. They they left it on the table for I think it was about three months um, from sort of I think it was like. February to April or something um, last year so you're talking um, a long time that it, that everybody, there was just no statements at all, there's no statements from the Premier League and it, it, it rumbled on and all that was had to be done was in, uh, a fit and proper owners test and what have you and they just, they basically just ignored it, it was like a an email you get in your inbox that you just don't want to reply to so you just leave it there for a bit um, so basically Mike Ashley's took them to court and fought them and now it's came out that um, the the Newcastle put a statement out last night saying that the club continues to um, fight the court of Ar- um, the Premier League in the court of arbitration claim um, involving the the Saudi takeover and what have you. Um, basically, the whole process has got to be confidential. However, if both parties agree, they can both make it public. Um, so Newcastle are calling for it to be public, um, and this is the statement. They're basically saying, we want it to be public, um, the Premier League don't, um, so the Premier League are refusing to make it public, and Newcastle are basically calling out the Premier League and saying, if you've got nothing to hide, let everybody see it, and everybody everybody sees the evidence, and everybody makes their own conclusions um, in this case. So that might not sound like much, but it does definitely say that Newcastle is so confident that they're that they're going to win this case um, against the Premier League that um, it affects other teams because Newcastle is saying other teams need to see this because the Premier League are hiding things and they're trying to um, you know keep everybody sweet and there's there's certain deals and it all comes back to the um, the the takeover with with so much money involved and the Saudis, obviously they might be morally corrupt and wrong and what have you, you can have any opinion on, on what, what they might be like as owners, but the simple fact of the matter is they didn't break any rules. The The, the Premier League, um, the Premier League have protocols in place that, that the Saudi PIF, um, the public investment fund um, passed quite easily. Um, but the Premier League were influenced by partners, commercial partners, um, and basically, I think there was even a case of, I think it was like a load of Premier League teams right into the Premier League saying you can't let this go through, and that's one thing, but the Premier League rules do not allow for that to happen, so basically Mike Ashley said, well this is this is all you ganging up on us to stop us doing something and to stop us playing with your ball type of thing, Um and it looks like Newcastle are going to win the case, I think, um, and the, the the takeover might well go through in the coming months. Um, so that's the that's the update basically. And if there's one thing I know about Mike Ashley, it's that he would not go to court unless he thinks unless he thought he had a major case, unless he thought it was a walkover, because he's a very very shrewd businessman, um, and he knows his his legals and he knows where he stands in this whole situation. So even though I can't stand him as as an owner. You can't knock him as a as a businessman. He, he knows what he's doing, and he knows that he's been wronged here, and he's going to fight for it. And it looks from the, I mean, it's still ongoing, but it it certainly looks like Newcastle are going to win this um, win this court of arbitration case, and therefore the takeover might go through. My slightly alternative reading of this situation, and I don't doubt what you're saying in terms of the direction the case is heading. But as you pointed out, Mike Ashley is a man who knows his legal onions. And I wonder how much of this statement is potentially presenting himself in a better light than he might otherwise appear to the fans. In other words, he knows 100% that the proceedings that have happened over the last month and will continue to happen will never be released. Because there'll be information in there that the Premier League won't be allowed to release, be it financially sensitive information, be it individuals' names, whatever. There will be certain legal requirements that means even if the Premier League and Newcastle United wanted those documents to be released they would not be allowed to or certainly it would not be prudent for them to do so so I think that part of what's happening here is potentially a smokescreen to kind of present himself to fans and going 
the Premier League are wrong, the Premier League are dirty, they're subversive, whatever it is. I think there's a there's a bit of game playing going on here, which you wouldn't rule out either, would you? Yeah, you'd. Um, I mean, that is the, the alternate way of 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 reading this is that everybody knows this is never going to become public, but if you call for it to be public, it's like saying, you know, um, you know, if if I say if there's like been a murder. And I say, well, Jim, where were you that night? And you say, well, I don't, I'm not going to tell you. And um, and then I say, well, if you've got nothing to prove, tell me where you are. And you're never going to tell me where you are because, you know, you might have been cheering Arsenal on in the pub with an Arsenal shirt and you're actually a secret Arsenal I'd fan. I'd rather you know admit I mean? to the murder. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's it's just one of them things, isn't it? You, everybody knows it's not going to be public, but to put out an official club statement mm. um, is quite a powerful move. And I know it's it's a little bit of PR, of course it is, but... It, it certainly um, reaffirms the fact that Newcastle are absolutely confident that they're going to win this case and that um, if they don't, there's going to be more repeals and it's going to drag on for another 10 years. I'll probably be dead by the time the takeover goes through because I'll have either died of boredom or I'll, di- I'll have died of uh, old age trying to keep up with this frigging case. So, yeah, it's it's one of them. It'll never become public, but it, it is a, a show of hands of where Newcastle are in terms of how uh, how strong they think they've got a case. Well, if you're still with us after that from Marley, if you haven't died of boredom, that is it for Football Social Daily. Uh, Thank you for that update, Marley. Thank you for being involved in the podcast. Same to you, Leon. Cheers for your help today. There will be a special podcast tomorrow, straight after the England... No, it'll be Sunday morning. We're not going to make people podcast after the England game. You wouldn't be understand a word anyone was saying. So we'll do it Sunday morning. 8 o'clock on a Saturday night. No podcasts are getting done at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. It ain't happening. So Sunday morning, you'll be able to download the latest from Football Social Daily. All the reaction to the England game and the other European Championship quarterfinals as well. Maybe even a glance ahead to the semi-finals. Make sure you've clicked follow on this podcast. You get that as soon as it's ready. And we'll see you next time on Football Social Daily. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.